Hey there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. Um, I am David O'Gray, and I'm talking Catholic here with Justin Farr, who is a seminarian, a candidate for priesthood. And he also runs the apostolate blackcatholic.com. So we talked about his conversion story, his conversion to the Catholic Church. We talked about his vocation story. Uh, we also talked about black Catholicism in general. We talked about the liturgy. And we also talked about recent racial tensions in the United States of America. So, man, really great uh, conversation here. Um, it's really long, too. This is a, a two-hour long talk. So, make sure you, you can listen to this program. Uh, please do. You can listen to the podcast version as well, which is easier to listen to. But also, I'll be breaking this conversation out into some other segments. So, more bite-sized if you want to hang on and, and wait for those but yeah so talking catholic david o'gray and all this all this will begin right after the eight second introduction in eight seconds will be just enough time where rhapsody blue is playing for you to click like subscribe and share if you're listening to the podcast version make sure you rate and subscribe if you're watching on youtube please hit the bell so you'll be notified for um, new videos and again i will see you on the other side can't wait Justin Farr, welcome on to um, Talking Catholic. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty good. It's good to be home and uh, back in Nashville. Like I came back home a couple of weeks ago uh, from the seminary, so it's good to be back home and be chilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to dig into all that. I, um, I think I first saw you on YouTube. You were talking about your conversion story on there. And then I've been following you ever since then. Um, you got the, the Black Catholic website, and you got it on, on uh, Facebook and on Twitter. Mm -hmm. and I really love what you're doing, man. You, you have a really great apostolate and great story that a lot uh, want more people to hear, man. So, yeah. So let's um, let's just jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, like, uh, well, first, like, thank you for following me along on my, uh, my journey, my, my Black Catholic apostolate and stuff. So I'm glad you like it. Uh, but anyway, as far as my, my, my journey of faith, uh, I'm a, not a cradle Catholic at all. Again, I wasn't even near the Catholic Church for a long time. I'm a, I'm a convert and stuff. And like the where my faith journey begins is really, I mean, around like the age of eight, nine uh, years old. Uh, when beforehand, again, in my household, there was no real mention of God, no real mention of church or stuff besides maybe like i guess culturally like maybe through sayings like god don't like ugly or something like that <laughs> but we never we never talked about religion or prayed or anything but then in 2003 um like my mom and aunt just randomly took like us to church like i like and for a long time, I didn't know why she did it, but she just randomly took us, started, we just started to go to church and it was like a Baptist church. Okay. And, and, uh, and I, I actually still live like not too far from that church, but, but it was a Baptist church and we started to go and we became actually members of that church. And I remember, uh, we, we went maybe like, uh, for some weeks or so, um, 
But then I, I don't I don't remember the exact timeline between when we started going and when I, when we got baptized. But then later we got baptized, like my mom, my aunt, cousin and like two of my brothers. That's the, we went and we got baptized. And, ah. and, and I remember our baptism clear as day. And I remember being we went in the back of the church and we got and they had a pool in the back of the church and stuff that had like it was like. You, you couldn't see it from the pews, but it was, when you got behind there, there was like a little pool. And I remember being emerged, like dunk, and coming back up. And 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 so, yeah, that's kind of the beginning of my faith journey. But then as a kid, you didn't think about going to church all that much. Like, you didn't want to go. You wanted to sit back and chill and play video games and everything. But, but and so there was a couple of times where I didn't. I just didn't want to go to church at all. Um, but... But eventually, faith got to me in a sense that when I was a kid, like, I mean, I wasn't the worst kid, wasn't doing, like, too many bad things. I was still overall a good kid, but there was occasional moments of, of evil that I would do, like, childlike evil that I would do. Like, one of the things I did was I would steal money out of donation jars at church. I mean, not church, but, uh, like, Walmart. When, when oh, okay. Walmart. Yeah, a long time ago. Like when they had like donation jars for like a children's hospital, like as a yeah, kid, those, just, those are kind of hard to get into though. This is like a small slot though. Right? Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, like yes, yeah, it's like so we like. No, either it was like a, no, it was like a jar. It was literally a jar, and oh, maybe okay. either, either either I was like unscrewing it, or I think I could just dip, dive in there with my hand. <laughs> and I, I think it was just diving in with my hands because again, as a kid, you just saw ooh five dollars a dollar, like you just saw money, and it's. It's all oh, money is special. I'm already boxing for that. And so again, I would get go in there and take money out and, and like and when we go to the Dollar Tree or something like that, I would get something. But eventually, like I heard, I started listening to the things at church. Okay. And I remember one one moment, one one moment I really listened to like the sermon that was being given. It was about sin and living a better life, living a good life. And I realized like Man, I mean, I've been a bad kid, and okay. and I and I felt conviction in like when I was nine years old or something. Wow! And I remember running to the altar and stuff. I think they had like an altar call or something. I was running through the altar, crying my eyes out and say, "Oh, bad and stuff," and like hugging the pastor. And and you know, from that moment on, my like the reality of God has been with me and last throughout this. Throughout the, throughout this time. Wow! How old are you at that? How old are you at that time again? Again, around eight, around like uh, nine years old when I got baptized. Like eight or nine years old when I got baptized, two thousand three. Wow! Uh, I'm scared of something, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so after that moment, like I, I, I've always believed in God and the reality of God and 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 sin and trying to live a good life so I can go to heaven and and that began my my prayer life. In a, in a sense, I started praying as a child, and again, occasionally, as much as a child can pray on his own, uh, without like, like with distractions and everything that yeah. that come along with childhood. And so that sense of faith remained in me even when we stopped going to church, and we stopped going to church about a year or two in because we just fell out the practice of it. Really, it wasn't, and maybe, and uh, yeah, maybe there was like some things going on in the background and my mom didn't like or something, but, but yeah. I, I think for the most part, we just fell out the practice of going to church and getting up on Sunday mornings. 
Did you ever? Did you ever? Did you ever ask your mom about what inspired her and your aunt to like even start going back? What was the impetus? Yeah, like um, like uh, not too long ago, I did ask that question. Uh, like right before I went to seminary, is that like the the only answer she gave me is that she 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 felt like. That was a, that was something to do in that moment. Like she she felt a desire to do that. She didn't want to go too much detail from that from that point, but she but she felt like she wanted to in that moment. Yeah, and, okay. and and my, my my mom and my aunt are close, so yeah. they kind of do things together. And so you have uh, you have you have siblings as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have uh, four. Uh, I'm a, I'm one of four brothers, four okay. sons. And stuff, oh. I, I, and and I'm the youngest. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. All right. Yeah. So, man, so so you have this developing prayer life. You have a sense of good and evil, and you you feel you want to orient orient yourself towards the good. Um. So pick up from there. I mean, in, yeah. in your youth, yeah. What happens? Yeah. So as I progressing on and going through middle school uh like like the rest of elementary school and into middle school and then and then and then into high school again i've that prayer life and that and that um relationship of god got again deeper and matured just over time again by just by little things over time and of course like as a kid i mean as a teenager and stuff like that fall into sin and then i figure out more about what sin was as as like i later in my in my journey as i came out of childhood uh and we got access to the internet for the first time in my house uh, around 2006 when we had a computer i was able to look up things about the faith especially after and this was like uh middle school especially after i encountered the uh, internet atheism and oh. so that challenge of internet atheism to, and, and that it has to challenge religion in general, but in particular Christianity. And so that question, their question to me, in, uh, and I remember getting in like at least one debate before, uh, like through, through private message with an atheist or, or agnostic, whatever, whatever it was, like and basically challenging why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in Christianity? Uh, like in, and 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 this again, this is 2006. It was right around the big, uh, the 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 beginning of the new atheism movement. Okay. So, so 2006, that's when um, Richard Dawkins's like big, huge book, The God Delusion, came out. Um, okay. this is when Christopher Hitchens was really big. This is when again, like the four horsemen of the non-apocalypse was really booming. This new atheism was on the rise, and so. Like it was very easy to encounter internet atheism, and okay. so when I encounter that, like I kind of wonder, it's like, okay, like is there a rational defense for my faith? Hmm. Is it is it all just superstition or something? And so because of that, I do I I dove into again during middle school Christian apologetics, and and I learned more things about my faith, my Christian faith in general again, more from a Protestant lens because I knew it was like a Baptist. And so I learned more about, again, the Trinity and uh, Jesus and what he did and the nature of reality of sin and, and how I should live and how I should live a, a Christian life. 
and also learned Christian apologetics. So I encountered people like uh, William Lane Craig, uh, Robbie Zacharias, who just died. Like, again, may you rest in peace. Um, again, R.C. Sproul, who I, who I believe has passed as well. Uh, um, Albert Moher or Moeller, like just these different figures. Yeah. Um, and which that provided for me the intellectual defense of Christianity, which I've never lost. And Christianity and like believing in God, it seemed like the best rational explanation okay. for why things are. Okay. And okay. so, and then that had an impact. So, encountering Christian apologetics that had an impact on mature my faith. And then Again, again, I would still be occasionally praying and, and everything, and and occasionally again read the Bible and, and reading a whole bunch of faith-related materials online. And so, again, this developing of faith coming along built up and built up and built up uh, until, um, like, in high school, when I was like in the middle of high school, going on towards the very end. I started to ask myself a question because that's been nagging me this whole time. Like, I have this faith, but why am I not going to church on Sundays? Why Why is nobody taking me to church on Sundays? Okay. Um, and and and, I, and at this time, I kind of maybe justified to myself. Well, it's like, well, like I still have faith in everything, and you can believe even without going to church. And maybe when I'm older, I'll be able to go to church or something like that. I don't know. And and, and but again, we. But again, that that nagging that nagging question and stuff, and then uh, yeah. it's always there. And then around this time as well, I started to encounter bits and pieces of Catholicism through uh, through the internet. Bits and pieces of Catholicism I saw through uh, like uh, encountering great Catholic art. Uh, uh, um, we when we had cable, I would like would see. I would see uh, EWTN yeah. um, and, and watching like the mask on there and being like captivated by like the ritual and, yeah. and, and, um, and looking up and like just, just spending in, endless hours on Wikipedia, just looking up things and encountering just general things about Christianity, but Catholicism as well. And even down yeah. to like, yeah, yeah, and but, even, well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, like, and even down to, I uh, had an attraction to like, even Catholic liturgical things and Catholic uh, yeah. clerical wear. Again, I'm wearing a cassock right now and stuff. And and again, I mean, it's like I've and, and, and I've always wanted to wear what I'm wearing now, even before I was Catholic and stuff. And, and, and I've always thought, like, because again, I mean, because when I saw that, and I still believe it today, it's like when Catholic bishops and priests wear their clerical garb and their vestments and stuff. That is. That is baller. That is some baller stuff, man. Do you know what a pep cup came from? They came with chalice on me. It's like, like, I mean, like, come on, man. That stuff was baller. And so, again, I like this, these bits and pieces of Catholicism. I mean, I would encounter and everything. And so, eventually, it's eventually, I started to like notice an attraction towards Catholic things. Yeah, but um, did you have did you have a prejudice? towards Catholicism heretofore because I mean because you're you're in a Baptist church initially and I know I don't know if your experience was like what some um some Southern Baptists may experience predominantly white Southern Baptists this this strong anti-Catholicism did you experience that and did you have any prejudice towards Catholicism no no I didn't have any I didn't experience any 
anti-Catholicism growing up. I didn't have any ill will towards Catholics. Again, around the same time, I actually had a lot of goodwill towards Catholics because during this time, this is the time that I, like early on in my, in my when, I, when we was Baptist, I didn't encounter any, at least I don't remember any anti-Catholicism, but then I became aware of like uh, generalized like Protestant opposition towards Catholicism once I dove deeper into th uh, through things like uh, Christian apologetics and and um, and Christianity that I experienced still from a more Protestant kind of background because th those names I rattled off were yeah. again all Protestant evangelical right. Christians right and I would look up um, like materials and stuff like uh, like like Carm. Uh, Carm, uh, um, Matt, Matt Slick, I think that guy who runs Carm, out like you go on the website right now, he's very much kind of against Catholicism and stuff. Yeah. And, and so yeah. that that type of stuff I encountered, and and they and I would hear and I would see things about how Catholics are not Christians, but when I looked up the data and what Catholics believe, no, they they seem Christian to me. I mean, they believe in Jesus and 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 believe in the Trinity. And and I always saw the Pope as a good Christian leader, and I always respected the Pope. And 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 when and when anybody attacked the Pope or attacked the Church, like from, like particularly from like a secular point of view, and and like uh, and disrespected the, like the Catholic Church and disrespected the Pope, I felt offended actually because I saw that as a as a good Christian leader, and we supposed to be together. So yeah, so I, I didn't encounter any direct anti-Catholicism until later when I looked up like more um, like uh, academic materials or like getting Christian apologetic materials and stuff. Yeah, that's really awesome what you did because you were, you were, because a lot of these people like you mentioned like R.C. Sproul and I don't know if you got into Pink, but some of these guys that you mentioned, they would contextualize what they believe based upon what the Catholic Church teaches. They say, well, you know, we believe this and um, well, the Catholic Church believes this, and this is why they're wrong. You know, they always want to kind of crouch some of their um, their theology in in the sort of a negative um, connotation in regards to um, Catholicism. But when you were encountering encountering some of this, you would then go validate and verify. You know, is that mm -hmm. true or not? So yeah, man, that, that's that's really fascinating. But around the same time, around two thousand six, around the same time, um, you have this deep respect for Catholicism. But around the same time, uh, the, 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 um, that, that wave of the, the, the sex abuse scandal was in the news everywhere. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts about? What were your thoughts about that? Like, uh, I don't. If I heard about the sex abuse crisis, I, I heard it more from like pop popular culture. You know, like the jokes about priests raping kids and stuff like that. Um, and. I mean, I guess whenever I heard that, I'd be like, "Yeah, that was that was that was wrong. That was messed up." And but like, I, that was probably my reaction to it. But like, I don't I don't remember encountering like the sex abuse crisis, like the, the news stories around it as much. Like again, I guess I just didn't encounter it that much. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, at least I don't remember. But if I did, obviously, like, I made some separation between. Yeah. Bad things that people did, and church and Christianity and 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 like the Pope and Catholicism and stuff. It was like like I made some type of separation that allowed me to go for it and and that 
and that did not uh, and that did not really influence me to develop any prejudice against the church okay. the catholic church in particular yeah that's awesome that's awesome mm -hmm. um so yeah so man this is really fascinating because you have by default you're a protestant you know just you yeah, know yeah, it's, it's, yeah. in this country a lot of people are this is the way that you 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 develop oftentimes um but you have this this subtle attraction to the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah, talk talk more about how this moves along. Yeah. So this so this subtle attraction towards the Catholic faith began around like 2010, 2011, my junior and senior year of high school is when it really started to take shape. Um, and um, but again, uh, like around this time, like again, I, I would. And again, around this time as well, yeah, around like closer to 2011, okay. I started to think about, okay, the different churches and like, I, well, I got to go to church on Sunday sometime and that like that time, that time is approaching. And I remember like a distinct moment, like uh, around two, again, in senior, in junior high school, I was doing some type of project, like, and it involved religion. Or, or maybe I'll just look. No, no. Maybe yeah. Well, no. It was some type of art project, I think. Um, but anyway, regardless of what it was, I was on one of the school computers and I was looking up various like uh, Catholic, uh, Christian art things. And I and, and that grab and I and I realized like uh, it, like there. And I remember looking up like the image of like the. I think the Pieta, where it's like G, like Mary is holding like the Lenten body of Jesus in that statue, yeah. like the, yeah, the Pieta, and putting that in a like a PowerPoint or something like that. Oh, and maybe it's like for some art project or something. I forget. And this Muslim kid who who's one of my friends was next to me, and he looked at that, and, and he and he said like uh, like oh like so like do you go to church and stuff? And I and and I said. Like well, well, no, like no, I don't and stuff. Uh, but I'm still a Christian, and it's like you can and you can have a still you can still pray and have like uh, some type of relationship with God, even if you don't go to church. Like that wasn't. I don't think that was me defending necessarily. Like okay, you don't have to go to church at all. Like church is bad, but just kind of me, just kind of maybe provide an explanation for why, like why I appear to be religious or pray, um, and the internal kind of struggle of like why I don't go to church I kind of let me kind of defending myself a little bit like internally and stuff but that but his but that question kind of like stuck with me it's like well, like again it was just one more thing and like there was just one more event that just like that poked the question in my mind it's like man you know, church maybe it's like I, I can't and eventually I felt that like I, I have this faith and I can't and, and when I when Sunday comes around, I don't really do anything with it. So, so I got to go to church and stuff to live out this faith and be amongst the body of believers. Because yeah. even when I read the, the Bible, I mean, in letters of St. Paul, like that, that's the image that you get. It's like the body of believers, the body of Christ. And I'm not with the body. So, so, that, so that stuck with me. And so, again, I started to wonder, about, okay, got to go to church. But along the same time, like I found out about the different churches that there were, and I saw and I saw like the various Protestant churches, but also saw like the Catholic Church as well. 
And so I began to wonder, um, what church do I join? And like, and, and that question kind of, because and now this time again, we we had we hadn't gone to church in a while and everything, but this faith remained in me. And so I started to kind of wonder that if I were to go sometime in the future, begin to go to church again, which church do I join when I see all these various churches that are around? Right. Then uh, I started to like uh, encounter like uh, like some more um, deeper parts of Catholicism and stuff. But I remember encountering like encountering like the not truly understanding it then, but but I'm being on CatholicAnswers.com and like the forums that were there, and I encountered like the like the like the the extra ecclesia solus like not lately uh, yeah. there's no salvation outside the church and i right. and i'm seeing that and like that scared me because again i wasn't a catholic I was inside the church it's like am i, am I going am i going to go to hell it's like oh my goodness like <laughs> and, 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 and it was over a weekend and it launched me into what i referred when i referred to for a long time it's kind of like a dark night of the soul but it really was I probably wasn't the dark night. So just a really kind of a faith crisis moment Really, uh, and, what, and what got me out of that was I remember again late Saturday night, um, reading like going into the Bible and looking up the Our Father that when Jesus was given Our Father, looking at and praying that over and over again, and 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 that's what that's the moment where I learned that Our Father never forgot. So it's like just pray to Our Father, Our Father, and so I and I began to feel better as I woke up in the morning and stuff. So, okay. But but again, but that was a, like some type of seed that planted later on for me to look up more about Catholicism and stuff. And so, to, in particular, so then later, as I began this question, well, I got to go to church again, but all these different churches were available for me to kind of choose. Do I go back to being a Baptist or do I do something else? Then I began to look at my attractions and my and 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 what I and. And what I kind of gravitated to the truth, mm-hmm. and ultimately, there were four things that de- that were developing between 2010 to 2011, early 2011. One, I started to again because of uh, my encounter with Christian apologetics, I, I developed a sense of Christian orthodoxy. Okay. So I knew there are certain propositions that Christians, people who call themselves Christians, preached that were biblical and true. Okay. There's the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God. Um, again, um, uh, abortion is wrong. Like uh, like uh, marriage between one man and one woman. Like you see various theological principles and moral principles that began to link together to form in my mind, what I saw then as Christian orthodoxy. Okay. And because of that, I began to, that was one of the things that I used to evaluate the different church. And so I started with Protestantism and I saw how within mainline Protestantism, not everybody agreed on this, on the, on, on, on what constitutes Christian orthodoxy. Because uh, generally, I mean, there were things like the Trinity is generally kind of true and everything like that, but there are some churches, again, um, that started to preach theological again, heresy, theological uh, um, problems, or or just not stress that point of, of of theology of what we know God to be is from the Bible 
as stronger. Mm-hmm. And 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 there were some and there were some churches that definitely on the moral <laughs> point of view started to compromise. Mm-hmm. Like they were some Protestant churches were saying like gay marriage is okay, like like uh, um, and uh, and like abortion was okay. And and and, I, and in my mind, I saw conservative churches and liberal churches, and I began to shy away from the liberal churches because they seem to not really hold um, theologically, like or morally, uh, in their teaching. And so, now, was that was that a, was that a shift for you personally? I know, you know, my experience growing up um, was that it was always ingrained in me. Sort of some liberal ideologies that you know I didn't know liberal ideologies at that time, but just you know some things you just this is true that you just accept as being true, um, and I did accept those things for for a long time in my life until you know I started this shift towards the Catholic Church and I began to question those things. Okay, is that true? Is it just a woman's right to for abortion? Is it people can just love and just marry? Is that true? Um, did you have for those? Did you have any? Um, ingrained beliefs that you receive just culturally that you had to reconcile with this conservative um, uh, perspective that you were, you were starting to uh, move towards? I wouldn't say conservative, brother. You didn't say conservative. You said orthodox. Yeah. Yeah. Like that I, that I had to receive is a very good question. Um, if I did, it was very broad. I don't think, because again, we didn't go to church for, for, uh, we only went to church for like a little bit of a period, and 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 our and, and overall as a family, our venture into church was not really all that deep. Yeah. And so, if anything, beliefs that I carried into this journey was again, there's one God. Yeah. Jesus had something to do with it, and Jesus like died on the cross for your sins, uh, and uh, um. Yeah, and and like in and the Bible was true. This kind of these kind of general propositions I carried I, I carried into it. Yeah, but culture, but cultural beliefs, oh, like things oh, like you know abortion and gay marriage and things like that. Oh, oh, wait. Culturally speaking, no, I don't think I had. I don't think I I received anything culturally. Okay. Okay. Uh, like, it, yeah, I don't think definitely not on a strong level. Those are things that once I encountered like Christian apologetics and Christian orthodoxy from, from those various figures. And they talked about these things. They pointed and they provided scripture. And when they talked about it, they provided scripture and I, and I looked into what the scripture says through like through the, uh, like through online, I would Google search these passages and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that, that seems to be there. (laughs) Okay. So, and so that's how I developed my sense of Christian orthodoxy. And, and, like it wasn't necessarily from culture, but from diving into like the material and then the scripture that I have that that was referenced by the material. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. So, but to continue along this journey, like I, I developed a sense of Christian orthodoxy, and 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 around this time, I was also looking. Oh, what I guess before I get to that. Then there's this, that was the first thing, a, a sense of Christian, uh, in, like the integrity of Christian teaching theologically and morally. Mm-hmm. Then I began to 
think about the question of, well, Christianity, I keep hearing Christianity is 2,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus was around 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so I mean, like, the questions start to form in my mind about, okay, if Christianity is 2,000 years ago, maybe maybe I should try to look for the things that were that the things that they were doing and believing two thousand years ago, that makes sense. And so, but then I I started at venture because I was still influenced by Protestantism through my upbringing, my short upbringing, and in and, and like encountering Protestant Christian apologetics. I started to look. Okay, what's the oldest Protestant church? And so if I'm still going to be Protestant, what's the oldest Protestant church? And I knew that the Protestant Reformation. Uh, was started by again in large part by Martin Luther, and 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 from Luther came the Lutherans and yeah. and, and, and the Lutheran Church. And so, okay, if I'm going to be a Protestant, maybe I should be the oldest Protestant. Again, <laughs> stuff. And so I began to um, look into Lutheranism, and I would begin to see the different. The, and again, there's no one Lutheran church. There's different Lutheran churches. Um, there's uh, Particularly within the within the United States, and they and they and they split along kind of conservative and liberal theological lines. Yeah. And I encountered, particularly in the U.S., three main ones in my research. Again, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the uh, the, uh, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, mm-hmm. and like uh, the uh, Wisconsin. Evangelical Lutheran Church, like the WEL, like um, like like some Lutheran church based out of Wisconsin. Okay, I've never heard of that one. Okay, yeah, and the and they split along those kind of conservative like the 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 largest church is the first one I mentioned, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and they were more in the liberal end uh, of things, and so they had and so they allowed things like gay marriage, they had women clergy, and various other things, and then. The other two, the Missouri, the Missouri Senate and the, the Wisconsin Lutheran Church up there were more on the theologically conservative side of things. But again, I, I'll refer to them as the more theologically orthodox side of things. Okay. Probably a better better way to put it. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I want and because like this sense of Christian orthodoxy I developed, I, I just I, I I started to immediately kind of gravitate towards the 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 the, the, the uh, Missouri Senate and the Wisconsin one and 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 the the Missouri Senate is like the second largest of these three groups and then and like the Wisconsin was like the it was like a little was smaller in comparison. So all of my intention gravitated towards like what I saw as theologically orthodox slash conservative Lutheran beliefs. And so I was looking very hardly at the uh, Missouri Senate church and, and, and looking at a lot of things about them and, 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 and um, was really thinking about like becoming a Lutheran at this point. But, and I remember even it, then I remember finding like even a Lutheran church would touch into like the third thing I'm going to talk about uh, was that it was very ritual. It was very kind. Of, it looked kind of Catholic. It's they had incense and and a whole and a whole nine yards of vestments and everything and these things and and it touched upon the third thing that I was attracted to during this time and that was ritual and tradition and worshiping God in this in this um 
structured way, mm-hmm. like the way that I saw online, the way that I saw again through EWTN. It's like I was pulled towards that, uh, probably because of maybe my introverted tendencies and stuff, and how. Like I don't think then as I am now, like I'm not I'm not jumping around and like screaming and clapping and stuff like that and sure and stuff. But but they worship God in a way that vibe with it. And so this third thing, ritual, co- coincided with like the second thing. I don't think I finished the second thing, but the second thing was um was eventually I started thinking, okay, Christianity is two thousand years old, Lutheranism comes all the way up to just the fifteen seventeen. With, along with Protestantism, there's a whole thousand years later, yeah. thousand years earlier. I have to look into, and so, okay, when I see Catholicism, I see this claim of being a two thousand year old church, and quite frankly, I don't remember anybody really disputing that that the, that the Catholic Church was a, that's been around even before Protestantism. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anybody ever like. Like uh, uh, um, what's, I mean, I just used the word, uh, like disputing that, and so right. I mean, if nobody disputing the church is two thousand years old, let me look into the Catholic Church a little bit more. And then once I I looked into, I started to look more into the early church and encounter these people called the early church fathers and various and and, and various things and beliefs that the, that early church people did, and they and I saw that they had bishops and priests and deacons and a church hierarchy and and yeah. these various types of things I, I again some some protestants have these things too but of course they only go up until 1500 there's a whole segment of christianity that goes from again the time of jesus and the apostles up right up into 1517 what's going on there what church is there that has all these bishops and priests and hierarchy and, and ritual and and i also discovered that um, going back on the first bit, theological and, and moral integrity in their teaching, the Catholic Church was one of those churches that has not com- that I saw did not compromise theologically or morally, but right. I saw broadly Protestant churches compromising on that. And again, there's no one pro- there's no one Protestant church and stuff like that. But but again, I saw different shoots, and I began to even see like uh, different. Again, I begin to think about okay. I'm looking at three different churches within Luther Lutheranism in America, and so why is that? Yeah. Well, anyway, and then again, so uh, so ultimately, there's like the history, like the theological, moral orthodoxy, ritual, yeah. and history. And then I mentioned, I, and I, if I mentioned four. That's because a fourth one comes later. Okay. But and, and during this time, there's these three main things. And the and I began to just keep thinking about these these three main things. And eventually those three things pull me away from Protestantism altogether uh-huh. and Catholicism. And, and and towards the area of Catholicism and stuff. And so and one of the main things was that was this. Catholicism claims to be 2,000 years old. Protestantism only goes to 1,500. I need to go along this pathway that takes me the whole 2,000 year route. So history became a big, a big factor. Yeah. Um, and then, and then so the church claimed 2,000 years old. 
history from. Then the when I saw when I looked at Catholicism, when I looked at Protestantism, I saw like again a bevy of different churches, different churches within Protestantism, and and I think it disturbed me how there was no one Protestant church, but there are many different churches saying many contradictory things and saying different things even within the loop even within Lutheranism that I was looking at those three churches split it up for a reason. And so there's no union there. And because there's no union and stuff like that within Protestantism, why I, I figure why should I hang on to this anymore? Yeah. And 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 the Catholic Church again seems to be the poster child for a lot of the Like in the Catholic Church, seems to be a post, post child for a lot of the ritual that I that I like, and so these three things pulled me away from Protestantism and into Catholicism, and I started to eventually look at Catholicism exclusively. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, and 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 and, and eventually, I like I started looking at Catholicism more intently, more exclusively, and and. Uh, gravitated towards the Catholic Church more and more and more as I move in as I move into the rest of 2011 and again for a brief time in my mind I was like thinking okay there's either Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy which kind really? of thinking about that. Okay. yeah huh. and so Catholic and so at this time I didn't look into Orthodoxy as in-depthly as I did later on but during this I gravitated towards Catholicism mostly and Eventually, got to the point where, like, man, like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to start going to church again, and it's the Catholic church I want to go to. Yeah. And I remember but telling my but mom, you're still, but you're still in high school at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're yeah. flushing, you're flushing all this out as a junior and senior in high school. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. And so, on my towards my tail, tail end of like junior year, I think I was. I started to develop more and more Catholic beliefs, more and more Catholic tendencies, and yeah, um, yeah and again, and eventually, like I kind of started to refer to myself privately as kind of like a Catholic Protestant a little bit because it's like <laughs> I was still kind of I, mean, I wasn't Catholic yet, and I remember still being coming from a Protestant perspective, I mean, coming from a Protestant uh, background, but, but being but like taking on a lot of different Catholic things. So I started praying the uh, like. Uh, Catholic prayers and like kind of structuring my prayers that way, and 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 there are certain things that, like praying to the saints. Yeah. I start at first I was kind of maybe against it, but then I saw that even early Protestants continued the practice of praying to Mary and the saints. So I was kind of thinking, okay, Luther still prayed to Mary, so I guess that's okay. I guess we do. But then, were you, were, you doing sign of, were you doing a sign of the cross or yeah. any other? Maybe, yeah, sign okay. of the cross. Sign of the cross. I was. Uh, I was building up even a little, like little shrine, like altar by my bed and stuff like that with, uh, with Jesus and stuff there, and, like and the cross that's there. And again, and eventually, there's a big catalyst that happens. That I'll say is a big kind of a moment that kind of really kind of got me okay with a lot of Catholic things. Okay, um, it was when. Again, I had spent the time kind of struggling with praying to Mary and the saints and stuff like that. I, I feel like, eh, like there's still something weird about that. But then, 
Well, one night when I was in the shower, I was thinking the the like Hail Mary, like the Hail Mary prayer came to mind through my research. I learned it, and I just got the sense of like I was just I, I started like thinking about it, and I started to repeat it over like repeat the Hail Mary and stuff, and then I started to pray it. It start it started to feel good to actually say this with conviction. So I'll say. Mm-hmm. I'll say the hell Mary over and over again. Mm-hmm. And eventually when I got out the shower and I went to bed, hell Mary was still on my mind. And so I would say this over and over again. I'll pray that prayer and feel a sense of consolation about that. Yeah. And, and from that moment on, I was like, I can pray to Mary now. And I began to pray again, uh, like a, a like a, I didn't know the like the rosary just yet, but I started to pray like pieces of the rosary. But then that eventually gravitated to praying the actual rosary. Yeah. And it was through Mary, this early encounter of Mary, that I began to be okay with general praying to the saints and the, the communion of saints. Because I can pray to Mary, then the other saints are okay as well. Now a Protestant, now a Protestant hearing this right now, they're probably flipping out. Because there's there's they're hearing this word pray, and for a Protestant, as you you know you re- remember well, there's only one way to pray. Pray is like they associate it with worship. Wow. like prayer and worship is the same thing. But for Catholics, prayer is more of a um, um, intercession and petition, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. For Catholics and stuff, we like. I mean, for one thing, like we look at the word prayer. And associating with like worship in the modern sense, and we're only looking at the English, the English connotation and definition of the word prayer, and not looking at the full panorama of what prayer can be. And mm. so, when when we, when we use the word pray again, the, like the word prayer, even in the English language, has had different connotations over time. Like I mean, and like in some, and I and I, and I saw this like in some early, like uh, like more uh, medieval writings and stuff like that, or like it'll be things like like somebody would say to another like tell like tell me I pray thee tell me this information or something like and so you're not praying to the person but obviously in that sense like pray means like a again like you say a petition I petition you tell me like this information or something. and and prayer like d- does not necessarily connotate worship it can just be, it's just asking for something and I think. The issue with, 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 and again, and not all Protestants are hung up about this. I mean, like, uh, like, uh, like uh, Lutherans pray, pray, can be found praying to the saints. Anglicans can be found praying to the saints and stuff. But once, but those Protestant traditions that do have problems with it, the more evangelical uh, type of side of things, um, the hung up is that. We are praying, we are talking to supernatural beings. I mean, not supernatural, we're talking to like spiritual beings outside of ourselves in heaven. And if you're talking to anybody in, 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 in this more in this mindset, if you're talking to somebody in a spiritual way like that, if you're only if you if you, if your tradition only says only has a depiction of that being towards God, the only spiritual interaction you have to 
something in heaven being towards God, then obviously it's going to shade your your depiction. Well, the only way we can talk spiritually to to anybody is God in heaven. So if we're talking to somebody in heaven, it must be only to God. And so we, and so when we do anything with God in our interaction, it's a form of worship of God. And so if we do something that looks like if we do some if we do something that for a per, for somebody other than God that's in heaven that that looks like something that we would do to God that you can understand how people will associate that with worship instead of making a distinction that Catholics have made yeah. um, like for, for two thousand years now. It, so, it sounds like now that you draw that out a little bit, it, it sounds like because you're newer. As you said, your Anglicans, your Lutherans, they still have that tradition. Yeah. But your newer uh, um, faith communities that confess Jesus Christ, the newer ones, they're not, they're detached from that tradition. So the yeah. further you get away from the tradition, I guess the more you lose, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's something. So you're, you're developing this, um, this, um, this trajectory towards the Catholic faith. And you have you have some core things that you find as that's very important: the, the history, the orthodoxy, the ritual. Yeah. Um, and so, when do, what 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 is really the decisive thing that says? I mean, you you say you know you you have to find a church, but what makes you eventually say I have to become Catholic? I have to go find a priest. Yeah. I mean, and that like eventually, when Catholicism became the only thing that was kind of on my mind and and like uh various last things were kind of being tied up as to why i would want to be protestant and stuff like i think i remember having like a very uh even tying up the issue of justification in my mind like faith and works and stuff like I, like i began to feel okay catholicism is the thing i want to explore the thing i want to go in deeper with okay. and and i remember senior year of high school uh, on uh, September 10th, 2011, I visited, like, I got my mom to take me to a, a Catholic church for the first time and okay. encountered the mass for the first time and saw a priest for the first time. In fact, after mass, I, I, I came up to him and said to him, you're the first priest I'm meeting for the first time and stuff like that. <laughs> and, 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 and I, and, and, by my research, I figured out, okay, like I, I went into it knowing that there's like generally Catholic practice and there's certain things that I cannot do. Like I, I knew I couldn't receive communion and stuff. So, and I, and I was okay with that. Like, like I, I, there's, I, I've, I've seen online, like, like when people are coming into the faith, the fact that they can't receive communion bothers them because in the past they've been able to just go and receive communion, but that didn't bother me because I understood. And, I'm, again, I remember like enjoying mass, and it was like what I and and seeing things that I that I've researched about taking place, and 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 seeing like the ritual and the and the liturgy, and, and seeing all that, all these things that attracted me there. And so that right there was something that okay, I want to come back next week, and the next okay. week, and the next week, and eventually, I haven't missed a mass since, like at least wow. deliberately, deliberately missing the. Deliberately missing a Sunday mass since and stuff like that. I love, like there was some type of like issue or problem, stuff like the COVID stuff. But yeah, again, like that was a major catalyst that 
that kept me going like along the lines of 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 the Catholic faith. It's just like in a video game, it's like you receive like a, a level up. When I went to mass. When I went to mass, that was my level up, and it kept on going on down down the line. And so, yeah, I began to be gradually to feel more and more comfortable living as, in its official sense, as a Catholic. And so, um, around two from 2011 going into 2012, I began to kind of refer to myself as a Catholic, but not officially because I wasn't into in the church just yet. Um, and as I went to college. I sought out a Catholic the Catholic group. I went to M uh, Middle Tennessee State University. There's a group called MTSU Catholic. When I went there for orientation, and they had like the different groups, student groups that were there for that section of orientation, I immediately went and sought after the Catholic, the MTSU Catholic and stuff for them. And and went out and and that was the first kind of like student group thing that I did uh, when I got to college and stuff. Yeah. So, hanging out with them. And then uh, there was this church, St. Rosa Lima. This is in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. There's a church, uh, St. Rosa Lima right down the street from not only like the Catholic group, uh, the, the Catholic center group, and right down the other, further down was the Catholic church. And again, I just kept, kept on going to both of those things. And like, I have, I have a car at this point, so I was biking to church and back and everything and going to church every Sunday and, and, and now, since I was on my own, and I can physically go to church without my mom taking me, and I can devote time throughout the week towards yeah. going to church, I entered the RCIA pro process there, and it was happening on Wednesday nights. And again, I got the process going to me entering the church in this 2012. The very next year, I entered the church in uh, June 26, 2013, and became yeah. officially Catholic then. Wow, man, that is awesome. That's an awesome journey. I, I really appreciate how it was initially this, this spark of faith after you were baptized and you realized, um, understood about sin and you understood about grace. And and then so that, that a spark of faith. And then later on, you know, you have this intellectual um challenge and you really start to dig in intellectually yes. and you have some standards but your standards don't seem to be your own they don't seem to be arbitrary some people have standards like oh i gotta find a church that has great music but your, your standards seem to be you know consistent with um what we believe as catholics things we, things we ought to believe i think that's fascinating mm -hmm. but at, at what point in that journey because I know you said early on, you said, you know, you were attracted to the cassock and, and you know, you watched the EWTN. But at what point in that journey did you, you sense that you may be called to the priesthood? Yeah. Um, and to uh, like, like the quickly wrap up, I mentioned like four things and the quickly wrap, wrapped up like that fourth thing of my yeah. Catholic church. Uh, when, when it came down to eventually later in my Catholic life, I started thinking, okay, why am I Catholic instead of Orthodox? Right. And, and eventually, like, quickly, the thing that kind of sealed the deal, even though I was only Catholic at this point, that sealed the deal even more so for me being Catholic is, uh, the, like, is, like, the, the evidence for the papacy and, like, the, the evidence for the papacy not only in, the, in Scripture but also in church tradition and, and the church fathers and our interpretation, the Catholic interpretation of you are Peter and upon us, I said, about my church. And I, and, and, and to just wrap that up again, 
the Catholic interpretation of that passage seems to me to be the best interpretation mm. of why Jesus would look at some guy named Simon, name him the rock, like uh, Peter, and said that you are rock, and upon this rock is built my church. The Aramaic there is you are Kepha, and upon this Kepha is built my church. And afterwards, Peter's referred to as Cephas. I mean, that's another version of the word of Aramaic, Kepha, rock. And Simon is referred to, Simon Peter, Simon the rock, over and over. For the rest of the scripture after that point, and, and Simon clearly has a role of leadership that's given by Christ, and yeah. clearly has a role of leadership that's given, that he has throughout the book of Acts, and and again, and just from the very fact that he's called rock, he's called Peter for like for the rest of the New Testament. And so that means something. So when God name, renames somebody, when he renames Ab Abram to Abraham, that meant something. That means he's going to be a father of many nations. When he when he names Sarah, Sarah to Sarah, he, like he's like she's she's going to be a mother of nations. And so, so when God renames somebody that has a spiritual like a symbolic purpose, but also, but it also has a real implication, and that real implication for for Simon, going from Simon to Peter, means that he's going to be the rock upon which Christ built His church and stuff. Okay. So the Catholic interpretation of that, in my view, is 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 the best interpretation of that. That that is more than just like um, Peter's statement of faith. It's more like that that. Like that, I, that I, Protestants typically kind of say it is, and like Orthodox typically say it is as well. We say that too, but we say both and. It's Peter's statement yeah. of faith, but also Christ establishing the church upon Peter and putting him in a head of leadership that is unique to Peter. And the church fathers bear that out. And so, yeah, when, so, I, when, I was, when I was becoming a, a Catholic, one thing I struggled with was the authority piece. Yeah. Um, but that right there, like you said, that sealed a deal for me. That in, in, in the fact that in the Old Testament, you're, you're supposed to read the Psalms, only God is rock. I mean, yeah. that's that's the only thing rock is. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes into the in, in the New Testament, Kepa, he, Peter called Jesus calls a human being Kepa rock. That's yeah. I mean, that's 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 has huge implications, yeah. like you said. And so, yeah, after, after I, I came to those same, same conclusions. Um, yeah, okay. This is this this is it. Yeah. 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 So now with that, going into my vocation story, uh, there's like little when I look back, there's definitely like little popcorn trails that were laid even before my Catholic days. Uh one of those like popcorn trails was like the fact that whenever I gave a presentation in school, even like it didn't have anything to do with religion. I just gave a presentation about something. And people, like, students would come up to me and say that, man, you seem like a pastor. And so like, when I was giving the presentation, I don't, know, I don't know where it was coming from. People just said, like, you seem like a pastor when you're giving this stuff. It's like, and so that's the group, man. It's kind of like, to be like a, and another thing was, um, I've always, in my pro even in my Protestant days, I wanted to, I think I had this, I wanted to be, the desire to be, Theolog formerly theologically trained so that I can defend the faith like the Christian apologetics that I saw before me, but also um, become like a Christian leader, like a pastor of some sort. There's some desire for eventually, like getting married, having kids, but also maybe becoming a pastor of some sort in some church. Yeah. Um, like, and then, and then when I, and then another thing was like, when I saw things like this, the casting and investments and stuff, I was poor that I wanted to wear that. 
Even you know, and when I remember being, I remember being like intensely happy when I saw that when I was looking at uh, Lutheranism that some Lutheran Lutherans wore a collar and everything. So, oh, oh, I come, I get to wear that as well. Too. But, <laughs> but, but again, that type of thing. But then another popcorn thing was, I remember like, and this and this came after Catholicism became like the main thing on my mind, and the church became the main thing on my mind. And I was kind of already kind of Catholic at this point unofficially. And I encountered Eastern Catholics as well. And I remember having a moment in which, again, early, like in the summer to, uh, well, like beforehand, saying, okay, a priest is something that like, that looks cool, that looks kind of good. Maybe, maybe I would maybe want to be a priest or something like that. I don't know. But at the same time, I was like, shoot, I want to be married as well. I mean, and I want to have kids. And I like I like girls, um, <laughs> and I started like okay like like I know like the church doesn't allow priests to be married and everything, and I saw that well, well Eastern Catholic priests get to be married and then become priests. And so, well maybe and and kind of in my mind I kind of think maybe maybe I could be an Eastern Catholic or something. I don't know. Uh, and I remember right I remember this 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 journal this assignment we had in class. This in my one of my English classes, and the assignment was to write your own obituary. And I remember, like, what you did when you died. And I remember writing that I was an East, I was a, a Byzantine Catholic priest <laughs> of the Church of the Resurrection, and I had a wife and a bunch of kids and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember writing that, yeah. and because I wanted that in a way, maybe I wanted both worlds in a sense. Yeah, and, and then I remember later, as you know, summer two thousand eleven, as I was really starting to think about this one girl in particular, and I was thinking, man, I think, I think I'm falling for this girl. I like this girl. Again, we we were just we were just best friends at that point. I was kind of like, I kind of like this girl. I like her, um, and and it's like, like, and I remember writing in my personal journals about like I like this girl here and everything, and I started thinking, man. But I also like I also think being a priest is kind of cool, and I said, "Man, like maybe I'd like to be a priest if well, maybe I'd like to be a priest if um, the church allowed priests to be married and everything." And and, that, and again, and I was young at that time. I was I'm like I didn't understand the significance of it as well as I do now. But but again, I wanted kind of the best of both worlds there. And so you take these things that are kind of bubbling up in in the early part of my life. But then, as I went to college, that stuff, like priestly stuff, kind of faded in the background. And, everything. Uh, and then I started like to like think more from a vocation standpoint. Again, marriage again was something I assumed. Um, so I went to college and stuff, and and again, I still at this point have never been in a relationship. Like at that point, and I was kind of joke. I would joke to myself like, "Man, it's taking a long time for me to have a girlfriend. Maybe I should." Packed this up and become a priest. I mean, it's not working out. It's like it's, it's taking too long. Um, but then eventually, I did getting a I did get in a relationship in 2013 while I was in college, and that lasts about two years to 2015. And like like one of the issues that would pop up in this relationship would be like, and I was dating a Catholic, oh. and Catholicism actually became like a part of this relationship that was like a, a heating point, like a, a trouble point, because I was actively living a Catholic faith. She 
was like Catholic, but she wasn't. She didn't live the faith as much. She was kind of a little bit on the lap side of things. She like, 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 like living the faith wasn't really as much of a uh, priority in her life and everything. And in fact, like when 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 we was in relationship, like she she said to me that she went to church more with me than she did, like not in relationship with me. Because again, when Sunday came around and Saturday night came around, I was I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna not go to church and and uh, commit a mortal sin and have to go to confession and stuff like that. I'm not going yeah. to confession of it. So, but and so we, we definitely go to church together a lot. But then, like the intensity in which I live the faith and what I and honestly, again, I was trying to. Part of me was trying to like get her to like live the faith a little bit more as well, and that became like a tension point a little bit and. And I remember one of my friends saying to me uh, that when we sit down, I was telling him my problems and stuff. And I was telling him how much I was like, like this issue about the faith. And he looked at me dead in, dead in my eye and said, again, are you sure you're not supposed to become a priest? And stuff. And then like, and, and I remember my answer not, was not a definite no. I was like, I don't know. I mean, shoot, I don't know. I mean, but, but then like when that relationship ended and I, I started to think a couple months later, I started to think more about um, my vocation and the notion of vocation and the fact that I'm encountering like uh, material and, and stuff online that says that, well, God, there's like this, there's at least like four vocations and stuff like priesthood, married life, religious life, consecrated single life and everything that God could call you to. And, and your vocation is up to God. God created you to be a specific thing. Mm-hmm. I started to ask myself the question, okay, what is my specific thing that God has created me to be? And when I asked myself that the question, I realized, like, I, I've been kind of assuming marriage this whole time instead of kind of being open to a vocation. And mm-hmm. then there was this last thing that kind of happened that, that 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 kind of got me to really go down this path. Like I was kind of thinking at the same time. I was still in that trying to have the best of both worlds. I knew I had this attraction to being at the altar because I w- I would love altar serving, love altar serving, and love wearing vestments and stuff. Then began to wonder about uh, like okay maybe I can be married and then be a deacon, have the best of both worlds, but. But like, but of course, like there's there's something in me that said, well, I, I just can't, I can't just go ahead and do that because being a deacon is is more, is more significant than just trying to just trying to have like uh, the best right. both worlds. Right. Right. And right. So I was sitting down with a deacon at at, at, at this church near near the college that I was attending, and I, and I, and uh, and and saying to him, like, I think I'd like to be maybe maybe I'd like to be a deacon and stuff like that. I'd like to be married as well. And he said to me, he's like, okay, Justin, like, okay, how old are you? And I was like, okay, 19, 20. He said, okay, Justin, it's, it's good you think about being a deacon. That's good. That's great. Again, and and I knew I would have to wait. And if I got married, I knew I'd have to wait until I think I was like 35 before but I was to become a candidate for that. But he said to me, and, and it's good you think about being a deacon, but at your age, the church is thinking about you being something different. 
And by that, he meant priesthood. And so it's like, oh, okay, all right. That makes sense. And so from that moment, I started to think about the priesthood in particular and, yeah. and looking, looking more in that. And eventually, I, in 2015, I, in late 2015, I opened up myself to whatever vocation God was calling me to be. And the priesthood is something I wanted to look at first in particular. So I began to just look up just things about priesthood and seminaries and listening to different vocation stories and stuff like that and and about being a priest. And that began something that lasts basically to this moment. Because once this stuff got serious in my mind going into 2016 and my last semester of college, I started to think, yeah, this is getting kind of, I need to look at this a bit deeper. And because of this, I don't think I can, I don't think it's fair for me to date any woman at this point. Because it wouldn't be fair to her to be in a relationship at the same time my mind wondering, okay, about this priesthood stuff. And I knew I'd have to be celibate. And I was a, and I was then, and I am now a sold Latin Catholic. And God has called me to be a Roman Rite Catholic. Again, I'm not an Eastern Catholic. If I was, if I was supposed to be, I would have been. But I'm supposed to be a Roman Rite Catholic, and I'm, I'm a Latin thinking Catholic. So I know if I'm gonna be a priest, it's probably gonna be the celibate route. So I can't be dating a woman and leading her along while I'm thinking about priesthood at the same time. So eventually, I got to this point where this guy has got deeper and deeper, and this investigation into the priesthood got more intense and it would not let me go mentally or 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 within the heart and so like there i begin to there's something serious with this that i that i have to keep investigating and then and then eventually priesthood and seminary and and wondering and asking god is is he calling me to be a priest began to be the main thing on my mind and what I contemplated and prayed about with the most intensity. So again, I remember even reaching out my, like I began to reach out to my diocese to think about this. Like again, 2016 when we had our previous Bishop um, and I was talking to a priest about this and I emailed a priest and there's a, uh, and I, and this priest told me, like, again, come see me and stuff. And so I went and I saw him, I explained the situation and he, and he was like, yeah, I mean, it's like you have something here. Do you want me to contact the bishop? I got, I got him on, I got, I got his phone number. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. You to contact the bishop. And then eventually I, I got a, I got a call from, I think the, the bit, yeah, the bishop himself, he gave him my number. And he and he and he asked and, he, and I explained to him. So yeah, I'm kind of thinking about it and everything. And he set up a lunch at where I met him and I met like the vocation director. I mean, not well. He was the bishop was the vocation director. I met his assistant, and we had lunch here in Nashville. And and that began kind of this journey of, of like of official encounter with the diocese in regards to this thing. And I spent two years up until. The, the year I entered seminary in 2018, I spent two years thinking about it and pondering about it and 
basically getting to know basically all the seminarians and even went on a seminary retreat with them in 2000, like, like 2000, uh, shoot, uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Like, and just, it eventually it got to the point where I got to make a decision. And, and, and what was like a moment of like, of, um, stoppage in this, in this, in this journey was when, again, our previous bishop, Bishop Chobi died in 2017. And so, Everything was up in the air until we got a new bishop. So we got, but again, even before he died, I was like filling out. I was to the point where I was actually, okay, writing out the seminary application and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and like, but but wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. But when the bishop died, all of that got put on hold. And and, and I, did, I never submitted that application and stuff. Um, but then when we got a new bishop, like he was announced in 2017, he became bishop in 2018. I remember going to him and saying, "I'm thinking about being. I'm thinking about going to the seminary." He said, "Yeah, great." And this this uh, bishop Mark, bishop Mark Spalding now, and I and he said, "Yeah, good. talk to my vocation director. Like he's going to be good." And so I've been known for years, years at this point. And so eventually got to the point where this is not going anywhere. I mean, this is not going anywhere. This is remaining with me. And, it, and and for some reason I cannot let it go, and I, there's so many attractions and drawing drawing towards the priesthood and priestly life. There's there's something in me that that is attractive to this life, and and I and I remember reading like a uh, Brett uh, Father Brett Brandis to save a thousand souls, like like uh, like like that book that's on uh, discerning the priesthood, and I read that book cover to cover. And I got to the point where one of the, one of the things that he says was, "There comes a time where you can no longer discern the priesthood outside the seminary. You, you just want to keep spinning your wheels. You have to go to seminary at some point." And I got to that point where, I, yeah, I gotta I I gotta start filling out this application. This, and this was early 2018, and. It got to the point where I, the church was the was the only thing I really wanted to serve and have this boundless energy for serving the church and 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 God and the church is the main thing. Mom in love with the church and love with God. Like, and why not dedicate my life to this? And and I'm going to be doing something in six years since, since I already had a since I already had a degree. It will take me six years instead of eight to become a priest. Like, I'm going to be doing something in six years. Why not be a priest? <laughs> um, and yeah, we got and so we got to the point where like I just that that was that priesthood seminary and discernment discernment was the only thing that I should be doing, and I, I, like going into the summer, I quit my job just to focus solely on going to seminary and serving the church yeah. uh, between that moment and and when I when I went off to seminary in August of 2018 and again God has kept me in the position that I am in now and and this priesthood thing keeps getting deeper and deeper and more substantial and more substantial to my heart that 
Like, and it got to the point where now, like, the reason why I'm wearing a, a cassock right now is not to play dress up, but because the past week, as I, as I announced in my apostolate, I received candidacy. Uh, and what that means is that the church is, I, I went through an official rite of the church mm-hmm. and received a special blessing from the bishop along with three other guys. And that's in my ordination class. And candidacy is the church saying to a man, you have the qualities of being a priest. And now my vocation director said to me, you now there, you can have a moral certainty that God is calling you to be a priest. Unless he says otherwise, and, and that's the and that's the mindset I've adopted. It's like I wouldn't have gotten to this position unless God is calling me. And 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 I remember thinking a week before, a couple of weeks before I received a candidacy, I started thinking about how how I went through my again. We went through my whole conversion experience, my whole conversion story from. Like not even going to church to going to church for a brief time. It was a Baptist church. It was something far away from the Catholic church and how I ended up where I am now as a black Catholic when there's not a lot of black Catholics, period. And um, like thinking about how as a black Catholic seminarian, how it's so unlikely for me to be in this position that I am in, that it has to be true that God has called me to be a priest. Yeah. It's so unlikely. But yet I'm here. Like, like it just kind of, it makes sense. It, it, it just kind of, it kind of has to be the case that God has called me to be a priest, I think. So, how did you, just, how did you discern out of religious orders? Like religious orders, like that. I th- I think basically to sum that up, I just never really had, and I still, and I and I still think about. It, I'm still open to possibly being called to religious life, even after ordination, because because that because that can happen. Even when you become a priest, God could call you further down in religious life. But up until this point, again, I looked at religious life. I, I, I even and I looked at. The, the CFRs, like the like the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, because my spiritual director before I entered seminary, he said to me that, like, you, like, you have something. And I think diocesan diocesan uh, precept will kind of stifle you in a way. Like, I, I, like, there's this, whenever I think about you, the, 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 I think about this religious... Um, congregation called the CFRs like and I want you to like look into it and I looked into it and and uh, and I'm praying about it again there's nothing really that pulls me to religious life there's no there's no interest kind of in it that there is with the priesthood and like there's no whenever I think about that and, and really investigate there's no there's no kind of endless source of energy to seek seek that out like that is with the with this energy of seeking out the priesthood. And so again, I don't I don't think I necessarily feel called to religious life and and I and I think I feel more called to definitely living a, a apostolic life of being being a part of the church that's in the world and working and digging in the trenches of the church. Digging in the trenches and, and working to 
save souls in the trenches and being on the front lines and and like like uh like Pope Francis says, the church is a field hospital. I feel like I want to be a part of that field hospital coming, like taking Catholics and the people into the church and healing them and strengthening them up so they can go back out there and do battle. And so I can do battle with them on the front lines and get as many people as possible to be Catholic and come into the Catholic church, especially black people. Yeah. And what did your, what is your mom saying about your, your journey so far? Is it, is it amazing to her that she has a son that's on his way to possibly become a Catholic priest? Like, like I think at first, like, no, she never really explained, she never really uh, had any major opposition towards what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I, like, she just, um, at first, I, she expressed some concern that, like, again, I wasn't going to be bringing her, like, grandkids. Yeah. And, again, that was really her only kind of concern. But even when she expressed that, she said that, okay, if this is what you want to do, then you can do it. I can't stop you from doing it. And, and so, again, like, she's just like she never was any, she was, she never had any opposition to me becoming Catholic. And again, to this day, none, none of our family is Catholic that I know of. And it, it, she never expressed any opposition towards me being, like, me going down this path to being a priest. And I think, and, and now, I don't think she expressed any more of that early kind of opposition anymore. Like she just, I think, I think secretly she's kind of proud of the fact a little bit. Like it, it, uh, that I could be, I'm being a clergy member of some sort. Like even though I don't think she fully understands it because she's, she's, she's not coming from a Catholic perspective. But yeah. I think like she, I think she's okay with it. I think she's okay with it. Like in a sense, from, from what I've seen. She, yeah. 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 That's mother's love. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and you brought this up, I thought, because I didn't get a chance to get to this when you're talking about your conversion story. But was it was it a, a cultural point of tension for you to uh, move towards the Catholic Church, being a black man? Did you have any previous experiences with black Catholics? No, no, I had no no experience with any black Catholic that I knew of uh, before. Like as I was going before I came into the church, uh, like. I think it took me a good while to even see another black, I mean, well, like, at least kind of meet another black Catholic. Like, like there was some, and I'm talking about like an African-American Catholic, not like a, like, not like an African, like, yeah. like, a, like, a, like a Nigerian Catholic or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, until like, I, I met another one, like uh, when I was in, well, in college, she went to the same church I went to and we didn't, we didn't talk to each other all that well. But until a little bit later, when we kind of like met, when we kind of like started to see like an older woman, so again we we would talk to each other occasionally and everything like that, but but nothing really substantial because um, we were just living two two different lives as a college student. She was like a married woman and everything. Um, but culturally speaking, like like do I have any opposition? Like no, no, not really. I mean, like there's no internal cultural opposition. For okay. me, as a black man going into the church, okay. Right? Like uh, the only thing I remember my mom kind of saying to me was that they even touched upon this was when I when I was telling I was thinking about, I wanted to kind of start going to a Catholic church, like and thinking about maybe maybe being Catholic. She she asked me, it's like like why, like like so like you not you don't want to go back to the Baptist church was like was like like where a lot of black people are at, like, <laughs> like like a black Baptist church, which is. What we came out of, and 
And it's like, and other than that, like it, that was just more like a curiosity question I think she had. Yeah. But, but again, no, there was for me there was no cultural uh, disagreements that I had to reconcile at okay. all. About yeah. being a Catholic and even being a Catholic priest. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, being being a often I don't know where how you know it is it would be in your diocese. I mean, you could pray enlighten me, but yeah. I know in my experiences oftentimes. And I, this is a point of struggle with me when I was when I was discerning priesthood as well. Um, I didn't, you know, always say, you know, if I do become a priest, I didn't want to have to go to a predominantly black Catholic mm -hmm. church because liturgically that wasn't what I experienced in a predominantly black church. Church liturgically is not where I was at liturgically. It yeah. just wasn't. So I didn't want to that to be my, you know, where I would have to be and there would be that tension between how I see the liturgy and how liturgy is oftentimes expressed there. So where are you at on that? Um, in your diocese, would that be the case, you think, if you would you have to go to a predominantly black Catholic church? And talk a little bit about that. Like, as far as having to go to a predominantly black Catholic church, I actually didn't figure out that there was a predominantly black Catholic church in my diocese until like years after some years of being Catholic, like again, I became Catholic 2013. I don't think I saw be, I don't think I realized that it was a black Catholic church until maybe like 2015, 2016 or something like that. And so like along this period, I, like along this same time period, I've been attending many Catholic churches within my diocese and stuff. I mean, and and like none, none of them were predominantly black. I mean, you have some black people kind of peeking around a little bit in there, but like none of them was predominantly black. But I felt comfortable, really. I mean, because I became a Catholic to be Catholic, like, like, yeah. um, and and like, uh, like, I mean, I just, I just kind of wanted to be Catholic. I mean, I, I mean, like, I, I just go into, like, uh, I can't find the right words, but it, but like, like, I know I was black and I was Catholic, but I was just. Like I, my my main kind of preoccupation was just being Catholic and experiencing yeah. great liturgy and stuff like that, and um, and so I like I didn't I didn't think too much about being like like except for a couple of times I, I would think about how I'm yeah you know, when I walk into churches I'm probably one of the only African American here like like that's that's probably the case, uh, but I still felt comfortable. I didn't feel any. Any racism, any any type of like uh, prejudice that's there. Everybody that I every everybody that I met in the various Catholic churches I, I would visit be cool, yeah. and, and 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 again they they were just nice people. Yeah. Uh, and so now being like knowing about this Black Catholic Church, but I, and there's Saint uh, Saint Vincent de Paul in Nashville, uh, which again it, it's been historically an African American parish. Like I think. Has connects to Saint Catherine Drexel, um, yeah. who, who did a lot of work ministry with uh, black black people in the church. Mm -hmm. um, like I don't feel any pressure to go there. I don't. Feel, I don't feel any any anybody like telling me say, "Hey, you got this black Catholic church you, know, you go to. You may like like that. You might you might want to check this out. You may feel more comfortable there." Like no no I, no, like I don't feel that at all. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm sure you read um, Father Cyprian Davis' book, um, Black Catholic History, History of Black Catholics in America. Mm 
Um, one of the points he, he brought up back in the early late 1800s, early 1900s, particularly right after the Civil War, the bishops got together at the, um, the United States got together at, at the council in, in Baltimore. And uh, the Vatican wanted them, Rome wanted them to bring up this issue of what are you going to do with the black Americans now since the Civil War is over? Was this, you know, they wanted a planning agenda to be put in place. Of course, nothing ever happened. A committee was put in place. But one thing they, 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 um, uh, one of the ideas floating around was that, um, like black Catholics should have their church, they should have black priests, black seminarians. Um, they thought it was better. It'd be better for black people. It'd be more advantageous and more black people coming to the faith if they were to encounter a black priest. Yeah. What's what's your what's your what's your sense of that? Is that still relevant today? Um, and just uh, what's your whole sense of that altogether? The the need for is there still a need for the predominantly black Catholic Church? And do we need black Catholic priests to bring in more black Catholics? Like, I think, uh, I don't know if there needs to be, like, predominantly black churches set up specifically in the modern age for that. That definitely had a purpose back then uh, when, like, the whole society was segregated and it was segregated by law. And so you had no choice but to do that, and then it'll just be too much of a, like, so much drama trying to kind of integrate any area of life, even like even church life back then. But now I'm not like I have to think about that question more. But I don't know if I if a bishop would just set up a church now and say and 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 make it the predominantly black church and stuff any more than than that he can set up like a a church and call it like the Italian parish or the German <laughs> parish which which was the case back in the, like the late yeah. 20th century we had these Catholic churches based in like uh, predominantly German or uh, yeah. Italian areas and that and, and all the Germans and all the Italians went to their particular churches I mean it's even like that in it was even like that in my diocese with the Church of the Assumption was it was based in a it was it, like it's 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 the, the church is uh is uh located in a part of Nashville called a neighborhood called Germantown and that was the predominantly German and, and then when they went to that church they, they spoke German, everything except the mass. Yeah. So I don't know the answer to that first half of that question. I don't know in today's age, would that be necessary to set up an explicitly predominantly black Catholic church? Because um, I don't know, I think we might have moved past that moment to the moment of let's get black people into all the Catholic churches and stuff like that, that we have now. But, but of course, if we have a historical black Catholic parish, we should still keep trying to like build that up and to kind of help that out because the context is already set that that's a black Catholic church. So let's keep working on that. And then eventually not, not just keep that up forever, a so-called black Catholic church within the diocese, but to even if that particular church has a black heritage, just like another church has an Italian or German heritage, there should be no obstacle 
for fully integrating that particular church into the life of the diocese. Mm, that's so, interesting. Like that, and so even if that church exists as like a predominantly black Catholic, because of the circumstance of history, all of the resources, all of the like care that goes to the other churches should go to that church as well and make sure that church is not marginalized or put off to the side in terms of its position in the life of the diocese of the church. Now, mm -hmm. to answer the second question, uh, the second part of the question of, uh, of uh, uh, say, say it again, the second part? Yeah, historically, um, the bishops thought that, you know, to bring black people into the faith, you needed black priests oh, to do oh. it. You know, my, my experience was that, um, I had a unique experience coming to the faith, but I don't know, I don't think it mattered. The priest who I went to was, an, you know, older Irish gentleman, um, yeah. Irish descent. And so I don't, I didn't know, I don't, it's just a, a peculiar thing to me. Maybe it's a thing at just that time. Yeah. But yeah, but then you still have St. Joseph, the, the Josephites. Yeah. Um, you have Xavier University, which has a small percentage of black Catholics. But do because I'm I'm sort of looking at your apostolate now, black Catholic, mm -hmm. the black yeah. Catholic apostolate. Um, I mean, do do more black Catholics, does that bring in more black Catholics? Yeah. Yeah, to answer that second question, I I I think yes, I think if you look at my apostolate and and why that and like and what I'm doing there, and even the reason why I started my apostle, I think I've, I think I've said yes to that second question in terms of because there's so few black Catholics, and because when people think of black religious life, black, uh, the black church, Catholic uh, Catholicism is not even on the radar screen and stuff like that. And so, um, and, and I think, and it may be. On the individual level, it may not matter to see black priests and black seminarians and stuff like that. On an individual level, depending depending upon the person, like for you, it didn't matter. For me, it didn't really matter either. Like when I when I was came into, when I was living a Catholic life, I wanted to like experience the like like uh, to be a Roman Rite Catholic. And so when I experienced the liturgy, when I go into, I wanted to be Roman Catholic. I don't need anybody to blackify the church for me to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I can feel totally comfortable being in the Catholic Church, being going into a Latin Mass, like and going to a Reverend Novus Odo, and feel comfortable there. Like I've actually, whenever whenever I look up, whenever I've looked up Black Catholic like liturgies in the past, I actually feel uncomfortable for me personally yeah. because it seems that they take black Protestantism, black, uh, black church worship and black church Protestantism and implant that artificially into a Catholic setting and then try to make that work and think that we'd be like, I, like that I would be drawn to that in particular. And I'm not, I'm drawn to being like Roman Catholic experience. And I think Roman right patrimony and the the history of the, of the church is for all people, and people and everybody can vibe to that. And then, and and again, you can develop like a, a, a like, and all groups can develop like kind of like a folk Catholicism in a sense that, like Ital Italian Catholicism or Ita like Italian Catholic life in America. I mean, Italian Catholic life 
in that in, in that country is is they, they express their Catholicism in in different ways than if you go to like the Spanish, uh, like Hispanic Catholicism. They like, they express their their one Catholicism in different cultural ways. I think that can be true for Black Catholicism without necessarily having like like without necessarily kind of even creating like a Black Catholic liturgy and doing that stuff. But at the same time, I do think when you're reaching out to black people in general, yeah, especially Catholic, especially black people who, who the vast majority are not Catholic, race. What I've noticed is that race and image and 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 uh, being able to see, and I think this is true probably broadly on for people in general, different groups in general, the ability to see. Uh, faces that look like you and see like uh, people who talk like you and come from similar background and experiences doing whatever it is that you're doing it can can be an important factor of getting more people to do that thing and so I think that's and that's just on a human kind of level that's just how we work on a human level we tend to go where our groups are kind of at we tend to kind of have uh, like kind of tribe up a little bit and so I think in in the current time, I think it is important to see more black priests, more black bishops, more black seminarians, more black lay Catholics um, do, living out the Catholic life. Like, and, and again, they don't necessarily have to be doing stereotypically black things, but just to just live out the Catholic life and be visible that's important, and that's that's at the that's at the core when I do my Black Catholic apostolate is me being a visible face of a Black Catholic that's hopefully intelligent, that's articulate, that's that's and that's inviting, and and show that there is a there is a there is a Black Catholic life that's already present within the church, and stuff, and this can be expressed through like Black Catholic saints that I showcase. Um, yeah. Afri like African saints as well that I showcase, uh, like like the things of black holiness through the saints, black, and like and and just regular Catholics living living the life of Catholicism, and I think that's important, and particularly for the black community that that greatly desires to see representation of the black community in different things. That that that's that that I think that goes throughout the whole history of. Uh, of black people in America, we want to see representation, like on the police forces, like yeah. in government, like in various aspects of social life, yeah. because that lets us know that we can have a seat at the table as well. And yeah. cap and like black Catholics need to know this, but also Catholics out, black people outside the church need to know that there is a seat of the table at the at the there's a seat at the altar mm -hmm. for black people to be at, especially since the Catholic Church, at least in America, is predominantly seen what I have what I by my observations from other black Catholics and and other and like maybe other black people is that this is seen as like a white church. Yeah. And yeah. Right? so and so but that's not the case. No, it's a it's it's a church for everybody. It's in the name Catholic. It's supposed to be universal. Everybody's <laughs> supposed to be there. I heard like one depiction of the Catholic Church one time. It's like, like, uh, like, uh, it's like here comes the Catholic Church. Like here comes everybody. So, yeah. 
that's the, and, and we know, and, and it's in the very life of the church that we express in both East and West. In the West, there's the Latin church and everything like that. But in the East, we have different culture and things. And there's two predominantly black Catholic church ethnically. That's the Ethiopian Catholic church and the, uh, and the Eterian, I can't pronounce it, but the Eterian Catholic church that's that's in the same area. And stuff yeah. Like that. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and then you have like uh, like the Coptic Catholic church and stuff. Coptic, yeah. and the Coptics in, in Northern Africa. Like the, and it's like it's these types of things that needs to be present to dispel the notion that the Catholic Church is a white church, and, and even to dispel the notion that's lurking around like some woke like area woke areas of black uh, of the black community. And again, and we and and, and they kind of get off like on a tan. Everybody is saying woke, but again, woke came from black people. That it's like that because when I when I. Like, cause when I'm, I when I first was noticing people saying stay woke, it was involving like black people saying that to be to be aware of different like social issues that was going on in church. And and one of the connotations people were saying stay woke is is this is this black neo paganism that I've noticed. I, I've touched on it a couple of times earlier in my apostolate. There's this black neo paganism that that is a that comes out definitely out of like the black uh like the black power movement mm -hmm. and the and the, and the pan-africanism of the yeah. of the 1960s and 70s that mm -hmm. said that that rejected like everything that we received from like the white man which included yeah. christianity and stuff yeah. and so it seems a white man really was forced upon cap forced upon black people and because of that there's this right now there's there still is a rejection of catholicism i mean of, of, of christianity which is seen as this white man's religion and everything. Now, all of that is nonsense. But again, but but it's but I think the that effect of seeing Christianity as a white man's religion can be heightened when it comes to Catholicism as seen as a white man white man's church because it's so the in proportionate to other like ethnic groups and racial groups, black Catholics hold a small percentage, and you don't see a lot of us there. And because of that, you don't see the image of black Catholics, then that can aid into the um, the misconception that the Catholic Church is this white church. Yeah, yeah, that's true. One, one thing I, li I really like about your apostolate, I think two things I really like about it. One, I used to complain, man, way back in the day, 2012, 11, I used to you know, have articles and um, some things on, on podcasts on my website talking about the, the dearth of representation of black Catholics on the mainstream Catholic platforms, you know, like EWTN and these other places. And, well, you know, you always see, you, you should see the same black Catholics, you know, some dear friends of mine, but the same ones for the most part, you know, same usual suspects. I used to complain about that, um, Justin. Mm -hmm. But what I like about your apostolate is that it's not for us to really complain about what other people aren't doing as far as showing um, the representation of black Catholics, but I think some black Catholics, this show. Um, and, and so you're, 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 you're taking that on yourself. You're, you're, you're doing that. And I think that that's beautiful. Um, you're taking responsibility for that. And the second thing is that I think particularly here in America, I think the, the user representation of, of black Catholics tends to be the historical narrative that, um, what does it mean to be a black Catholic? It means that you go to a lit liturgy that is, 
you know, where singing and music and is it tends to be this type of, you know, this type of expression. That's what it means to be a black Catholic, you know. And mm -hmm. so what I like about your apostolate is that you're showing, okay, well that's that's one that's one aspect of what it means to be a black Catholic, but all that's not all black Catholics. We're everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a really beautiful thing. I think I think there needs to be space for that. Yes, there's the traditional image of what a black Catholic is in America. Yeah. But that's just really a small percentage of the number. I think it's they represent maybe like twenty three percent. I think most black Catholics are people like me who go to a parish where, you know, there may be a handful of us in there. But that's our experience um, of being a minority, usually in the country, and also a minority in our in our church community. And I, I think that's I think you you showed that. I think that's a really beautiful thing. We appreciate that. Yeah. Following on to that, I wanted to get your your thoughts on um, uh, from the time we're making this video, maybe a week ago. I'm a gentleman by the name of George Floyd yeah. in Minnesota. Um, the cops came out, things escalate. He ends up dying, um, and we're finding out now is through asphyxiation with the, the police officers, mainly due to him having his, his knee on his neck and, and George Floyd couldn't breathe. After that, um, I think we're in day eight now. It's been constant protest and and marching. Yeah. After this, after the marching, you know things have tended to escalate. You know, for whatever whatever reasons, whatever influences. Don't want so much talk about that, but I just want to talk about just what, what are your thoughts on the whole? Because you're you're about to be God willing, and we pray that this is the case that you're going to become a priest. And as you said, you said you're going to be on the front lines. Yeah. And, yeah. And people are going to come to you asking for context. What should we think about this? You know, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Like, like on the uh, on I guess I guess I give you perspective on the George. Like, I guess on the George Floyd thing, but also connected to like the Ahmad Aubrey case as well, because that began right after each other. Um, yeah. As far as as far as the cases themselves, and again, I have yet to talk about this in my blackout class because I've been trying to. Like, think of an honest thing to say, but at the same time, that's not virtue signaling. Because I don't want to virtue signal. I don't want to say something that sounds good so I can be with the crowd and everything. Like, I want to say something that I actually believe they can back it up. And so, um, so I'm still in process in what I in my in my response to all this thing. And then, plus at the same time. I have to be careful as a as a Catholic seminarian. I have to be careful because I represent the church. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I represent the church on an official level as a as a seminarian, even. And so, I can't just be a bull in a china shop and touch on like um, politics like that because. That that can that, that that type of stuff can get messy when you when you when you're an official representation of the church, and and we even have a, and we even had a talk about that. A vocation director even said that. I mean, not way before this, way before these these issues and stuff like that. It's to like like pretty much kind of don't talk about politics mostly at all. I mean, like but 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 if you do, probably be careful about it. And so I'm having to juggle these things. And then plus, as a black man, I feel like 
as a, and, and as a black, I feel like I have to talk about this because it affects my community and everything. So there's a there's like a and as a black and I have a black platform, and so there's like a tension as there. And so this be my my first kind of like, but if I don't talk about this before you produce this uh, this video, this would be my first time talking about it publicly. Yeah. So you have all those things and that shapes my context and how and, and everything about to say. So first of all, I think bottom line, I've had the chance to look at the evidence that we have that I know that, that like that I have access access to of both cases, like the uh, the uh, the Ahmad case and the and the George Floyd case. And I'm gonna say this very clearly: both of those men should be alive today because both of those cases were 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 cases of some type of unwarranted brutality took place like in terms of the Ahmad case that dude wasn't even a police officer anymore he should he, and he had no proof that Ahmad was the guy that was committing his robberies he has maybe some type of suspicion but in that moment, he should have called the police, gave the police the description of the guy, and then let the police do their investigation, not try to confront him because, especially with weapons, because like anybody that confronts some random, like if somebody confronts you on the street with weapons, you're not going to be too excited. You're not going to be too happy about that. You're going to try to defend yourself or to go away. And because he tried to defend himself, he got shot by two people who never should have shot him, who never should have been after him in the first place. They should have called the police and let the police handle that investigation. Now, I don't know if what, I don't know, again, somebody may know more evidence of the case than I do, but I don't know at this point if that was motivated by racism. If, in that case, they hunted him down because oh, he was a black man and he most likely committed some type of thing. Like, I like I think there's good evidence that, that, that they, I think the evidence at least bears out that they were overzealous in trying to get somebody and trying to get somebody they thought was committing a crime. Now it's possible that some racism was behind it. And if racism was a part of it, that needs to be exposed and that needs to be and that needs to be exposed and and condemned. Because racism is evil, racism is a sin, is a mortal sin. You will go to hell for it if you do not repent of that. Because gee, because the message of Christ is love. And everybody in Christ died for all to be saved. And the Catholic Church is for all people to come and taste of the sacraments and to be healed and to come to the knowledge of God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to be redeemed and achieve the resur to achieve the beatific vision when they die and the res and the resurrection unto glory at the end of time. That's for everybody. And so racism is evil, and he's speaking. So if racism was involved in the in the Ahmad case because they thought it was a black man. He probably committed something that needs to be found out and condemned. And and then secondly, moving on to the George Floyd case, I had I've had enough. I've looked it up. I had to look it up later in the later in the, later last week to figure out everything about the case. But from what I have seen, he's another case of somebody who should be alive. I think that is. I think the George Floyd case is a clear case of, of police brutality. There's there's no reason for me to accept that. There's no reason for me to accept that policeman's actions when he um, need on that guy's neck 
for an excess like like just minutes like like I heard like like nine minutes and like like this dude need he need on that man's neck unnecessarily when he wasn't resisting he wasn't resisting arrest he was on the ground and so I think that's a that was a clear case of police brutality and and I, and and police brutality is also evil and it is also a sin and it is also a mortal sin by abusing your authority that you will go to hell for if you do not repent. And it has no place in the life of, of the church and a life of Christians in general. And so, I've, from what I've seen, that is another unjustified killing. Now, was that motivated by race? I don't know. We're waiting on the evidence for that. But again, if it was, I'll repeat everything I said about the Arbonne case to the Aubrey case, like to the, to the, George, to the George Floyd case. Um, what what I'll say next is a couple of observations that those two cases fit in the total context of 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 a, of a huge discussion we're having for years now. Again, that like that since like the Michael Brown case and various other cases after that of police brutality and this this perspective coming out of the black community that again we're like there's people that 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 deny that black people are being killed on any uh on a, on a, on a um any disproportionate amount of level compared to other races by police there's some people who make their argument now the black community largely i mean at least the vocal part that you hear at least on the news again not every black person thinks the same not every black person has the same viewpoint on on the on these things and it should not be portrayed that way but i think possibly the media probably portrays black people as this one monolith and all thinks the same way and everything and again that's not true black people can have our, we can have our own thoughts on it independent of other black people just like we can have our own thoughts independent of white people and hispanic people whatever and so but regardless of that question of whether of, of the merit of the argument of the black life black lives not a movement and everything like that Black people, nevertheless, like there's a segment of, of the black community that nevertheless feel that they are not valued, that they are not treasured, that they are not, um, that, that again, that their lives do not matter. And this, this is coming out of a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, in which the, the vast majority of American history in regards to black people, like, that that seems to be the case where black people did not matter and black people like were not even human or they were human or subhuman and stuff. So that's coming out of that. So it makes sense why like black people have a suspicion for these things and suspicion for this type of treatment. And when that happens, when things like this happen, then black people can feel that way and feel and feel that like the weight of history upon upon their neck again, like it was on George Ford's neck and and. And that officer's knee on George Floyd's neck was a representation of the knee of history's neck upon black people in America. And so people feel that way. As a Catholic and as like a Catholic seminarian, like the church is responsible. And, and, and then I've seen like, again, I think you're part of the same kind of group that's on Facebook, like the black and Catholic group. There's one post on there that, that and like and some people kind of like message me already saying that Complaining about like a an absence of Catholic voice, non-black Catholic voices responding to this, 
Mm. And and I think at the very least, we like the, there needs to be some type of response as Catholics to this, and an official response to the Catholic Church to this. But it, again, at the same means, the same time needs to be prudent. Yeah. And and without and and the basic and I'm and again. I'm still figuring out everything that I'm that I want to say on it, but I think bottom line is this: in response to that perception that a lot of black people have that their lives do not matter or their lives uh, do do not like 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 uh, are being hunted down or like you know, f fundamentally that this perspective that they have that their lives do not matter. The church needs to provide the counter witness to that perception to say that no, their lives do matter, black lives do matter, and and that Jesus died on the cross for them as well, and for us as well, and that they have a destiny along with everyone else of the beatific vision of encountering God at the end of time, and that Black lives matter because Jesus died for black lives as well. Mm -hmm. So that that message, really the fundamental message of the gospel, needs to be tailored to this particular situation that 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 looks at it carefully. And I think what will be helpful, helpful, like especially the image of the church in people's minds, is for it's for you know how. Theologically, there and like, I think even Vatican II even affirmed this, but the church is like again, this is something like like the church can has always or could always affirm this is that there is some kernel of truth even in other religions. Yeah, since yeah. that like with Islam, they teach in, in Judaism there's one God. Well, the fact that there's one God that's true, and. Yeah. And when you go to Judaism, like the various prophets of the Old Testament and, and the value of the Old Testament, that, that Judaism holds, that's true. You even, move, you even move further beyond Christianity to like uh, other religions uh, like, Hindu, like Hinduism that, that, that at least affirm the reality of a supernatural life mm -hmm. in, the, in the form of different gods and stuff and like maybe and, 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 and like and, and and, and drama from which all kind of gods kind of like come, come into in, in regards to Hinduism. They will form a basic spiritual life, and that's true. And, and like, of course, as Catholics, we believe we have the fullness of the truth in regard, especially in regards to God's revelation to man. Yeah. Reject all the falsehoods like there's more than one God or that, or, or that in regards to Islam, that Muhammad is a prophet of God. Or that, like Jesus is not like the Son of God, or like reject that because that's false. Or they in, in Judaism, like Jesus is not the Messiah. Reject that. Reject all the falsehoods and affirm what is true on a fundamental level, and tie all those those pieces of the truth that's in the context of the religious world, like popcorn. Like just tie them all together and, and weave them into a beautiful tapestry. That leads everybody to the fullness of the truth that is exclusively within the Catholic Church. Yeah. Take that same mindset and apply that to social issues in the sense that regardless of the political situation, regardless of the, of the social situation that happened, 
there are fundamental things that are going on that are right and true. And the church needs to affirm those things that are right and true in every major situation that pops up. And, and, and because people on both sides are seeking some type of truth. Everybody is seeking some type of truth or goodness because we're made for that. We're made for truth and goodness. And when we see injustice, everybody is disturbed by that because that's something that's evil. That's the absence of the good. That's not supposed to be there. We recognize that. And so the church needs to reveal and point to the good yeah. in the situation. Like racism is evil and say that clearly. Like if uh, 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 in that, in that, Again, it's true that all lives matter. Yeah, that's true. But in the context of this discussion, the, the, like there's a rejection of like that. The hashtag all lives, when people say that in response to Black Lives Matter, there's a visceral rejection of that. That almost seems to that almost seems to make like the all lives response doesn't even doesn't even help the situation. Yeah. I think instead of, instead of maybe saying all lives matter, affirm the truth that yes, Black Lives Matter as well, and say yeah, that, that on a fundamental level, that's true. And that there's certain things in policy that, that should affirm the truth, like moral truths of the value of human lives because they're made in the image and likeness of God. And because everybody's made in the image and likeness of God, black life and Jesus died for everybody, black lives matter. Black lives, and, and they kind of go all the way backward. Black lives matter because Jesus died for black lives. Yeah. And why did Jesus die for black lives? Because Jesus died for all lives mm -hmm. and thus all lives matter why do all lives matter because god made everybody an image like this of god why did god made everybody an image like this of god so that so because god loves us and mm -hmm. why did god why did well, because god created us why did god created us because what the baltimore catechism says god made us to love him serve him in this life so as to be happy with him in the next oh mm -hmm. like Okay, like, oh, and we know, and when we get to that point, okay, how does God want us to do that and accomplish it, accomplish that, accomplish that, and achieve that in this life and the next? Then we hit them with the Catholic gospel and stuff right. like that, and use fundamental gospel and Catholic principles that affirm what that affirm the the needs and the necessities that Black people need to hear and and need to be affirmed in them right now in this moment. So that even if the church doesn't have, and it doesn't purport to have, the the solutions politically to police brutality, but right. it does have a fundamental solution towards the evil, the metaphysical evil of police brutality. And so, and so we use that, we use these values as fundamental principles to affirm the value and worth of people in the present situation now, and then, and then do... What we do in that case, what, what we do in, in in terms of pro-life legislation, is that we 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 influence we want we, we influence the we as religious people influence the political scene to to get good laws passed in regards to the pro-life movement. We should have we should have that same influence in regards to areas of life that touch black communities as well. Out of the values that we, we have as Catholics. That should influence policy decisions that affirm the value of black lives again and the value of other lives as well. But of course, again, as far as specific political proposals, let the let politics do that. 
and everything. But that's kind of like what's been brewing in my mind. All that. Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff to brew. I'm glad you're you're, you're brewing. It doesn't even sound like a Keurig. It sounds like you're like brewing on like a stovetop. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, but I think it's absolutely true what you're saying because I, I think in 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 the world, I think obviously you have demonic problems. You have you have evil in the world. Yeah. I think when we try to come in there and, and provide solutions from the world. I don't think that does anything to solve evil. Doesn't solve yeah. the, the demonic issues. Yeah. So, sometimes we have, we try to fix broken things with broken things. Yeah. <laughs> and we know if you if you have if your cars if your bicycle was broke you you can't take a broken tool to fix the bicycle. You need yeah. to fix a broken thing with something that works. And what you're talking about with the Catholic Church teaches is something that works. That there you can come in and fix a broken thing with a, something that. That has has worked two thousand years ago. Yeah. That we, that we uh, it's a tool that we reject. It was a person who we reject. So yeah, I like I like yeah I like what you're what you're saying there. I like mm -hmm. it. All. Yeah. So we're at the end of the show. So at the end of the show, Justin, I ask five questions. Let's, let's see if I can catch you off guard. Uh, and, you, um, you, yeah, you probably could <laughs> ask the right question and you find it so we got five questions, five answers here. Mm -hmm. All right. So help us get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, number one, who is your favorite Catholic saint? Favorite Catholic saint. I'm still thinking about it, but I mean, like, but when you said that, I mean, I guess what immediately came to mind was Father Tolton, actually, even though he's not a saint just yet. But that immediately came to mind, uh, probably for a reason. But, but I guess another person that comes to mind that's an actual canonized saint is, uh, I guess, Saint Thomas Aquinas. I guess. Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, you have a devotion to him, or he's just some somebody that you you you've been studying, or yeah, like he's somebody who who I know has had an influence on my thinking, oh, influence okay. on my Catholic life, and um, uh, like. And I know he lived a life of not only great intellectual life, but chastity as well. Uh, and so that's good. As well. and, and, and another popped in my mind is like my actual confirmation saint is Saint Joseph. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah, same as mine. That's the yeah. Um, what is the book? What is the book that you've always wanted to read, but you just been putting on the back shelf that you haven't gotten around to yet, but you said, I really want to read that book. I really want to read that book. Uh, one of them is like the, like definitely to finish up Cyprian Davis's Black Catholic, uh, Black yeah. Catholic, but one book I definitely want to read is uh, uh, The Organic Development of the Liturgy by uh, Alcon Reed. Mm -hmm. so I've been really wanting to kind of get through that book. And stuff and finish that in. Yeah, that is a good book. Um, what are your favorite foods to put inside? If you're going to make a perfect taco, what yeah. would you put in that taco? That taco. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well like, it, it, does this assume that meat is already a part of it? Ah, no, no, because okay. you can have chicken, you can have yeah. shrimp. Yeah, I would like the perfect taco for me is again ground meat with like uh, lettuce, 
and cheese and um again some tomatoes or or salsa because i mean salsa is basically tomatoes and stuff like that but yeah but like in the basic classic taco oh really the basic yeah, classic yeah. taco yeah all right okay cool so you get your taco from taco bell yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, I got. Oh, I got no shame about that. I love Taco Bell, man. That's good. But but I've also had like uh, I mean, authentic, real Hispanic, like again, Mexican tacos. But I've, I've, I've also had that as well. And and again, they're two different worlds, actually. They're, they're, like yeah. they're distinct worlds, but they both taste good. And it's like when you feel like having one, you want that. When you feel like having the other, you want that. That's how that's how distinct and different they are. All right. Fourth question: The who is the greatest? Running back in the history of the National Football League. Probably, I, I kind of want to say Barry Sanders. I figured you just gonna. I thought you gonna go that way. <laughs> yeah, because again, I thought about. I thought Walter Payton, Emmitt Smith, they both have the rushing title, like. uh uh, Barry Sanders, he didn't have the Russian title. I remember re- at least reading on Wikipedia because, like, at the time, Walter Payton had the Russian title and he did not want to surpass his mentor. Like, he did not want to surpass his idol. And that's one of the reasons, I think, like, at least Wikipedia, I mean, like, one of the reasons why he retired. But that man kind of retired on the top of the game, kind of. Like, like, no, like, like, nobody could stop him. Like he like nobody really can actually stop him. I don't know if he had. I don't know if he ever really had. A, for me, seeing highlights and, and knowing just generally of his career, that he had a decline moment. Like he, he like he just he just retired on top of his game, and like I feel like he still would have been dominating and everything like that. So yeah. I mean, and, and again, like even though I think I heard the statistic that he had. More lar- yards lost because he had to dance around and everything like that. Uh-huh. Just imagine if he had a better offensive line in Detroit for yeah. all those years, um, what he could have done. But yeah. but again, he still had a bad offensive line and had like large yards lost. But he still could could have very much broken the the rushing record. So I think Barry Sanders probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. I think there's I think there's three answers to that question. You mentioned you mentioned Walter Payton. Barry Sanders. I think the only other option is Jim Brown. I think those are the Jim three Brown. answers to that question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. If you could have a superpower, well, what would it be? Oh man. I mean, these questions really catch me off guard because, like, it's either questions I haven't thought about in a while or just never thought of. Um, superpower. I think I would have. Like probably the one that comes to mind is like the power of flight. <laughs> so that like I can kind of like kind of fly away and like fly in the clouds and kind of see like beautiful things and kind of and like uh and like visit everybody I want to visit or something like that. Like I don't know. I think like the power of flight has always been a neat one and stuff. Yeah, I like that. I think that that most comes to mind. <laughs> oh, that's a great answer. Well, Justin Far, thanks for coming on uh, Talking Catholic, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Like, thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me, reaching out to me, and providing a way for me to kind of speak my piece, speak 
speak what I got to say, so it was good. Definitely, man. You're a smart guy. I got to definitely have you back talk about some um, some more things in a, in a narrow, in a more narrow scope, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah good. Right. Yeah, I'll yeah, be glad to, glad to join you then. Fool me, we can't get fooled again.